Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we doing? Feeling good? All right. Well, we're glad you're here. Merry Christmas early. Merry Christmas. Um, we are in our series, finishing it up, The Seven Spirits of God. Those of you who have been here through the series, have you enjoyed this or have you learned anything from this? I know I have. I know I have. Uh, it's interesting, some of these concepts. I'm going to wait and I'm going to explain it here in just a minute to some of you who, who haven't been able to be here, but uh, especially the first service that we had with this, the first message, which was the Spirit of the Lord. And so uh, we are in the Spirit of Might. We're talking about the Spirit of Might, not like, man, he might, he might not. No, he will in a mightily way, that's the mighty works of God, the mighty acts of God, the mighty, the mighty moments that he, when he presents himself in, on earth, in the environment, a natural environment, doing supernatural things. And so we've been reading from the passage, Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, it says, there shall, this is talking about Jesus, by the way, this is called a messianic prophecy, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, or reverence. We talked about reverence last week, and I hope some of you were able to relax and get some um, recovery from that message. Those of you who are who are here, you will understand what I'm saying. Uh, I'll know who you are, too, because, you know, you're like, oh, finally, I, I was able to re release from the tension. Uh, so and then he talks this, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. The Lord, Jesus' delight was in having reverence for God. It would be and it was. And that's an example that Jesus came to set for us is having a reverence. And awe, wonder, to venerate. And so I want to show you this menorah. This is how we started the series. Uh, and so on the left here is a seven-branched menorah. This would, is a representation of the menorah that would have been in Moses' day once he brought the Hebrew children out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And this is a picture for you and I before you come to Christ whether you like it or not, you were in bondage and in slavery to sin. However, just because you come to Christ doesn't mean that all goes away. The process of being delivered, set free from the bondages, the pains, the memories, the strongholds, and every experience that you endured in that season pre-Christ is now getting worked out of you. And so this was Moses had now walked the people that got the people of God out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're roaming in their 40 years and God says I want you to build me a tabernacle and he explains how and then he explains the details inside of the tabernacle that should be there. The menorah, the left side is the menorah, is one of them. And by example for the Messiah to come, he says, he to put this menorah on the left side of the, uh, of the inner room, the inner courts. And on that, of course, it will be a seven-branch lampstand. The Spirit of the Lord, the Lord will be the middle branch, the supporting branch. And then you have the Spirit of might, Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of counsel, Spirit of understanding, the spirit of the reverence or the fear of the Lord and the spirit of under, uh, I think, under wisdom, rather, wisdom. And so here's what happened. Here's how we got over to a nine-branch menorah. 
And let me explain that because that's the Hanukkah menorah. If you know anything right now, you know tomorrow starts Hanukkah for the Jewish culture. This is where the same season that we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. How that came about was when about 150 B.C. before Christ, then uh, there was a there was a little bit of a influence from the Greeks and from Assyrians, and there was Assyrians, and there was uh, there was a, a lot of conflict, and Jerusalem was caught in the middle. Let's just say it this way: uh, Greeks and and other gods, people who served other gods, had a lot of influence in Jerusalem. And in fact, uh, I believe it was an Assyrian Assyrian had come through, slaughtered a pig, and just drug it all through the temple of God, which is uh, to defile it. And so finally, these zealous Jews rose up and said it was a Jewish holy war and said, we're getting, we're, we're enough. Pushed out the Greek influence and said, we got to consecrate the temple back to God. They get the menorah, the, the menorah on the left, the temple menorah, they find it, and they find a jar of oil that is, that is supposed to light the flame, keep the fuel for the flame. However, there's only enough for one day for each of the seven bulbs that the flame would set upon. So what they did was dip the wicks in the flame, in the, in the oil. They separated it between the seven branches, and they lit it and said, well, let's just start the process, of pro- which is an eight-day process of processing olives to produce a pure oil, by law, a pure oil that can burn inside of the menorah. And the flames that would rest upon that are, now, are known as the spirits, the seven spirits of God. Let me give you an example over in the New Testament, whenever Jesus had sent the, 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 the disciples over to Jerusalem, told them to tarry, the 120 in the upper room, what do we see? Flames resting upon them of fire. So you see this uh, picture of the menorah in the New Testament for the 120 in the upper room who were, pre- who were uh, pressing in to see the Lord, to receive from the Lord whatever this promise would be that Jesus had promised them before he left. So during this consecration, whenever the flame, they set the flame of the menorah for the one day, all the fuel that they had, and then began this process, they came back eight days later, the menorah is still burning. This is an act of God. This is a picture of us bringing the little bit that we have, and God can do mighty things with the little bit if we'll come wholeheartedly and we'll dedicate that to him, whatever it is, and say, Lord, this is yours, this is what I got, he can do mighty things. And this is what they did. They dedicated the temple back to the Lord. This began the Feast of Dedications. This season right now is also the Feast of Dedication. This is not a normal feast as the seven feasts, like the Feast of Trumpets, all the way to the Feast of Pentecost. This is a feast that came about in 150 to 200 B.C. before Christ. This was also God providentially moving the people, his people, to act upon something that we begin to prepare them to see the coming Messiah in 150 to 200 years. Here's what they did. Wow, for the eight days that this menorah burned, they created another menorah, which is, which is the Hanukkah menorah. Feast for Feast of Dedication, for the dedication of the temple. In the middle would be the servant menorah. And the other eight, eight, a servant branch, and the other branches would point in towards the servant. The servant would be the first to be lit, and then each day, one by one, for the eight days of Hanukkah, which it starts tomorrow, those, the, candle, the rest of the candles would be lit. The servant menorah, the middle menorah, is Jesus. He is the servant. And I'm going to show you throughout this message that, in fact, the reason that God had Moses put this, temp- this menorah in the, in the tabernacle for, the, for, the begin- for it to begin with is to point people to Jesus. 
because this is a clear picture of Jesus. No, Jesus was not a candlestick, but God used the candlestick to point people to Jesus and all the elements within. So here we are in the seven spirits of God, which are the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit embodies all seven attributes. These are attributes that fit within the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit of God. Psalms 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. God so much has desire, he desires to tell you secrets, things that can't be revealed to logical and, and natural man and earthly and worldly men and women, but he has secrets for those who revere him. He will show them his covenant. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing experientially Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about how to build a car and knowing, knowing, knowing to how to experientially knowing how to, how to build that car, physically being able to build that car. There's a difference between knowing about a covenant and promises that God has for you as, as to opposed to knowing experientially, here's what God has done in my life and he proved his covenant with me. You want to see the difference? Do you see the difference? All right, and so let me, last week we talked about what does it look like to have evidence of this reverence? They'll obey God instantly. Like, can you give me a work chart, a flow chart on that, how this is going to work out? And um, I need to know the details before I can get started. I need to know all the information. Just, I need a list. Can you write a book about that so that they obey God instantly? They obey God even when it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, logically, this is, there's no way this can work. Sounds like God. They'll obey God even when it hurts. Do you know what that's going to cost me? Do you know how that bad that's going to hurt? I mean, this is really going to embarrass me. It's going to make me vulnerable in front of people, and they're going to know my flaws. They're going to know my weaknesses and how, I mean, I just kind of stutter when I speak. This is what Moses told God whenever he called him to lead the people out of, out of Egypt. They'll obey God even when they don't see a benefit. I don't know how this is going to benefit me. Serve. They'll obey God even all the way to completion. Oh, well, you know, I did good enough. <laughs> this, this is satisfactory, right? I got started. I got about halfway. I mean, it's better than what you could have done, so this is good enough. No, they, they obey God all the way to completion. In Psalms 145 and 4, and the reason we're talking about this, this is what it takes to see the mighty acts of God. Psalms 145 and 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another. And, and shall declare your mighty acts. What he's saying is one generation will talk about some things. A next generation is going to actually perform these things. Y'all are very excited about that. There's a generation that just has a lot of talk and they've seen it. But there's a generation that it actually, the mighty acts of God actually moves through them experientially. Let me tell you it this way. There's some things that are, there's some things that are in you that you're doing that was in the hearts of your parents. There's some things in the hearts of, your, of you parents that now your children are starting to do. That can be a very good thing or that can be a very bad thing. You get to decide what's in your heart and how you bring it under the authority of God. But it will be revealed. The same Hebrew word for might is also used as strength or valor. And so I'm going to, you're going to see this as I use these words today. Because what I'm trying to do is show you the menorah. Show you, show you the seven spirits of God. Specifically the spirit of might. I want to show you how from Moses, as I showed you the, ta the, the, the temple, the menorah of the tabernacle. From Moses all the way to you getting out of this seat and actually going and doing something in this world. I'm going to show you how this spirit of might has been in action. Was pointed to Jesus. And Jesus pointed it back. Back to you. You good? Yes. All right, good deal. You're going to have a different Christmas this year. 
And so it, you'll see this first. Well, you see this pick up, and, and there's more than I can show you today because you, you, we only have three and a half hours to be here together. You, <laughs> whoo, done got Pentecostal on me. I don't know about this, Pastor. I'm out. <laughs> Talking about Gideon, he was the fifth judge. He was the fifth judge of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In Judges 8, 19, and 21, Gideon replied, says, those were my brothers. See, Gideon's brothers had just got slaughtered. It's warfare. The sons of my own mother, as surely the Lord, as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I, I wouldn't kill you. It was real talk back there in those days. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw a sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. So Zeba and Zelmuna, which look, sound like from Wakanda, and come, said, come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength, his might. And Gideon was challenged by his tempters who had just slaughtered his brothers and said, oh, really? You, you, you don't think I'll do it? And he said, so Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels' backs, camels' necks. But I want you to see this. Gideon told his son, hey, he gave him the authority. I want you to kill them. Son couldn't accept it. He wasn't ready for that authority. He said, I'm, too, I'm just a little boy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid. Let me say it this way. There's authority that Jesus has given you because how you honor him and how you revere him. And he is saying, here, these are some things that I want you to do. There's mighty acts that I'm going to do through you. Go and do them. And oftentimes we say, I'm just afraid. I'm not ready for that. I'm just a little boy girl. And you're a grown man and a grown woman. And God's been telling you for a long time, and it's not just a one-time deal. He's been speaking it over and over and over and over and trying to guide you into this path so you can do this mighty work which he created you for. But Gideon didn't start there. Gideon tried to give excuses. Judges 6, 15 and 16 says, So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? See, Lord just called him out and said, Hey, listen, buddy, I need you to go slay some, uh, tear down some altars and some idols. And in fact, I need you to get rid of all the people that are connected to this too. Gideon said, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am just the least in my father's house. Oh, I'm just a little boy. I'm just a little guy. I come from a little place. I come from Athens, Texas. How could I ever do anything? I was the runt in my family. I was a little boy. I was a little girl. This is just a little town of 13,000. How can anything good come out of Athens? And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. See, when the Lord's behind you in mighty acts, it looks like there's multiples working through you, but it's just you and the Lord, and the Lord is trying to do the work, and, and magnified things happen. It's exponential change. It's exponential growth. It's exponential transformation that happens. It's whatever the situation calls for that he wants to do a mighty work for you. It is exponential because of him and not because of you. He's just trying to get the fear out of you so he can get his presence through you. Gideon would not believe what he was hearing. This man, I'm just a man. I'm weak. I'm, I'm frail. I'm from the smallest tribe, and I'm just a little guy in my family. Why don't you call one, one of my big brothers? Why don't you call him somebody that's bigger? But Gideon had to first confront a lot of spiritual warfare before God could do any of his mighty works through him for God's people. Gideon, uh, Gideon had to tear down some altars Tear down some idols. 
And I want to say this, just object it. So many of you may be stuck in a cycle in life because it's yet, you've yet to tear down some altars to the past, some idols of the past, some old problems, old hurts, old wounds. Maybe your identity is stuck and here's who you, what you did and here's what you came out of. And you're thinking that's still, still who I am and this is exactly why I can't do the very things that God's telling me and calling me to because of that back there. Well, let me tell you, like Gideon, it's time to tear down that altar and get rid of the idol because it's keeping you from walking in the fullness of what God's called you to. How else will your family go forward to see his mighty acts? How else will what's in your heart that you would really like to do for the Lord ever be in the hands of the next generation until you begin to tear down those altars and change the generations? Number two, King David and his men carried this spirit. 1 Chronicles 12, 21 and 22 says, And they helped David against the bands of raiders, for they were almighty men of valor, and they were captains in the army. For at that time they, they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. Wouldn't you want to be in the army of God? Or know, be affirmed that you are in the army of God. Mighty men doing mighty things in the army of God. The, the Holy Spirit embodies the spirit of might. In Proverbs 8, we see him showing up and speaking through the, 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 proverb, the, the, uh, the, the writer of Proverbs, the Solomon. And he says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find, find out knowledge, spirit of knowledge, spirit of wisdom is about to show up again, and discretion, the fear of the Lord. Is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. He's not talking about perversion. He's talking perverse is showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to, to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences. You know what? I don't care if God's word says this. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I, why? I don't even believe that anyway. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't care how it turns out. I, I, it's my own truth, baby. Really? You got your own truth? That's good. See how that turns out. Verse 14, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. This is the word, same word as might. Can't you see the the seven spirits of God just showing up right here, speaking to you. The, uh, Samson, the 14th judge of Israel, carried the spirit of the Lord in might. Judges 14, 6 says this, And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a, a young, apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. Prophet Micah prophesied mightily by the spirit of the Lord to Israel. But truly, verse Micah chapter 3, verse 8, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice, justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his son. The, the purposes of the Spirit and might is to bring justice out of injustice, to see the unrighteous and make things righteous, to see chaos and bring order to it. 
There's mighty things that begin to happen when we will just listen and revere the Lord, take his counsel, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and then begin to, as a byproduct, just apply what he's saying in a situation that's chaos, that is very worldly and natural, and then the kingdom principles begin to enter in, and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what brings order into chaos. Not you doing it. It's being subject to the spirits of God and allowing him to do it through you. I'll show you in a minute. Jesus is saying this. Psalms 106, 2 and 3. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare his, all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and who does, not, uh, sorry, does righteousness at all times. Psalms 24 and 8 and 10. Who is this king of glory? Tammy said this during worship. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. You know who the gates are? We are. Swing wide, you heavenly gates. You get to decide who comes in the kingdom or who comes out. You get to decide if this is an entrance for Jesus or an entrance for an adverse spirit. You get to decide what you let in and what stays out. You get to decide if the gates are barred like a citadel or if they're wide open and vulnerable. You are the gatekeeper of the fortified city for the kingdom of God. You get to decide what happens on earth because you are a child of God. You have the authority of God. You walk in his power. You have the spirit of might that, 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 that desires to rest upon you. You. Who is this king of glory? Verse 10, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Wait. Pause. Meditate on that for a little bit. Grab the heart of God. And the prophet Isaiah begins to prophesy about a child who would be born humble, vulnerable, and then become mighty. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government of his, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about the Lord Jesus. This might is a strength that overcomes. It's a, it's a strength that empowers. This as mighty, it's a mighty strength. This mighty strength does supernatural acts in natural environments. This is a might that helps you to succeed against all odds. It's, it takes us beyond the place of confessing that God is able to a place from experientially knowing that in whatever situation, if your heart is conditioned and you're under the authority of God, he just works right through you. It's a knowing. There's a fearlessness. Fearless because you know he can do it. There may be an intrepidation about a fear because you've got you've to walk in it. Anybody ever been in one of those situations? Oh, good Lord, Lord, please help me. I don't know why I'm walking into this situation. I'm so scared. I'm terrified. I'm shaking. I'm trembling. But God just shows up, and all of a sudden, he works things out for his behalf and your behalf because it's bringing glory to his name, and all of a sudden, amazing things happen. There's restoration. There's healing. There's transition and transformation in the environment, and you're like, you walk out of there. Yeah, I knew I could do that. No, <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Knowing what to do is, is the spirit of knowledge. 
understanding how to apply that knowledge as a spirit of understanding. Knowing when and how to execute is wisdom. And, and in the take, how to take that right course with the knowledge and understanding and wisdom is counsel. And as you have reverence for the Lord and you're applying all these things because it's coming from him anyway, as a byproduct, as you live it out, mighty acts of God just take place. What a great place to be in. What a great life to live. Great, no matter the situation, there's an answer, and I don't have to be the one who, who has it. It just comes through me. Numbers 24, 17 I'm going to begin to show you some prophetic declarations and verses that are pointing to Jesus' birth, and you're going to pick up on it because this is, this is where the wise men, they see a star in the sky to the east. Numbers 24, 17, literally prophesying, I see him, but not, near, but not now. You ever, you, you ever seen that? You ever in your inner knower, your inner man, like you can see something, but it's not quite clear. You can see it happening, but it's not right now. And there's something in your inner knower that begins to drive you and move you towards that destination, even though you don't quite have it clear yet. This is called the spirit of God. This is the spirit of knowledge and wisdom and counsel guiding you to do something mighty that you don't quite yet know until you actually get there and show up. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2 saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. They knew they knew that these Jews had prophesied, there's a prophecy over the Jewish people that one day a king would be born and a star would rise that would indicate that this king had been born. Looking for the prophecy, the wise men recognized and came. They came to King Herod thinking, well, maybe I need to come to the current king to see who the new king is. And what happens? King Herod gets jealous and he goes, why don't you go find them for me because I want to go and worship him too. What he wanted to do was kill him. It's interesting when spiritual authority rises up, worldly and earthly mentality authority tries to rise up and kill it. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come, this is really wisdom right here, to worship him. That's wisdom. You know what, I'm going to lead my family to church because we're going to worship God. We're going to worship Jesus. He will be our king. He's not just going to be my friend. He's going to be my Lord. You want to talk about what's in the hands of the next generation, you better put that in your heart. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little, sounds like Gideon, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings far forth are from the old, from everlasting. Micah 5, 4, he's prophesying, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. This is Jesus, and we are the flock. In the majesty of the name of, his, of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great. Anybody ever read John 15? To the ends of the earth. Isaiah 9, 7, 
of the increase of his government and peace. See, whenever he is Lord over your life and, and he is governing the aspects of your life, there's peace. And some of you need to get to know that peace this Christmas season so that you can walk in peace in 23 and beyond. Some of you need to make him Lord and not just a knowing, not just God, but Lord God, so that you can have his government that's resting over you and protecting you and guiding you and leading you into all truth that's giving you peace. And I mean peace in the midst of storm, the peace in the midst of disaster, the peace in the midst of trying situations, the peace in the midst of chaos. When he's governing, there's peace. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forward, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal from the Lord of hosts. Oh, he's going to give it. It's not going to be it shall or, or it may. It could be. It's not even it might. No, because of the mighty acts of God, it will perform. And an angel of the Lord appears to Mary, mother of Jesus, in Luke 1, 31 and 32. says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. During the Feast of Dedication that I was explaining earlier with the menorah, the Festival of Lights is also what it's called, where the temple was dedicated and the Hanukkah menorah was created, and, and the reason it was created. Before the before I mentioned the John 15 moment where he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And he gives us all this instruction on how to, how to be a disciple, how to, how to be in relationship with Jesus. In John 8, he's walking in the scene about this, this same time frame, actually, because they're celebrating Hanukkah. They're celebrating the Feast of Dedication. They're celebrating the Festival of Lights. Here's where it comes together. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them saying, hey, I'm the menorah. The thing you're lighting over there, that middle branch, that's me. The one who kept your menorah lighting in the tabernacle for, or the temple for seven days, I did it. The whole purpose to show you the Messiah coming, I am he. He shows up in the middle of their dedication, their feast of dedication, the festival of lights, and said, hey, and they couldn't see him. I'm wondering how much... Christ shows up in our lives trying to do a work, trying to bring healing, trying to bring restoration, trying to bring freedom. And all, all the attributes, all the signs are pointing directly to him. You can even hear things that you don't normally hear, but there's something inside that fails to, to acknowledge, that fails to submit or surrender or to yield because of these old altars, these old ways of doing things, these old hurts and these old wounds. Well, that can't do that because this happened and therefore that can't be true. And so we struggle with yielding and, and as wise men coming to worship him as the king of kings and making him the Lord of lords, not over me, but all creation and everything that I have. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's a lot of believers walking around in darkness, forgetting you have the light of life. 
John 14, 10 and 12, this gets exciting. Do you not believe that I am in the, I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. He's like, I'm not doing it, guys. I'm just trying to model how life on earth as a, as a Christ follower should be. A God-surrendered a God individual, a reverent individual should be. I'm not doing it. God, the Father, is doing it through me. Believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves, these things that you like that I do, those little things that you call a show that you follow me around for, the healings and the deliverances and the blindness of being seen. The things that I say that tick off the Pharisees, if that's what excites you, believe me at least because of that. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, all these things that we read about that Jesus did, oh, you're going to do them also. Oh, 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 but I'm not going to stop there. And greater works than these he will do. Oh, no, Jesus said, those who follow him, greater works than he did will you do. How can that be? I'm not Jesus. Oh, no, he sends the Holy Spirit later, which embodies the seven spirits of God to function through you so long as you'll yield and create, make him Lord over, over your life so that you can do greater works than he did. Now, Jesus, is, he's, either, he's either a liar or Lord. Luke 24, 49. He says, because I'm going to the Father, that's why you're going to do far greater things. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait, chill out, be still, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power, and this power is dunamis, this is called might in, in, the, in the actual text, the Greek text, might, translated as might, until you're endued by the Holy Spirit who also embodies this spirit of might from on high. But before we're ever able to operate, as Jesus says, doing far greater things than he ever did, and then as we're endued with power, this power to do mighty acts that's coming from God the Father, before because it's a promise, by the way, from God. It's a promise from the Father. But before you do, he's like, here, what's most important are these next statements that I say. John, John, uh, sorry, Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we do some mighty things? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders, many mighty acts, many things in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Like, remember, and James says that God jealously yearns to have intimacy, his spirit to the, with the spirit that he's caused, he's placed inside of you. He jealously yearns, meaning anything that's in the way, he's angry about it. Anybody ever been jealous over their spouse? Let me tell you what, God is way more jealous for you, for intimacy, for relationship. This is why he said, oh, it's great that you can do all those things, 
They understood that they could, do, they could operate in authority because of his name, that they could use his name for authority. But he said, but on, beyond all those things, I just want to have a love relationship with you. And when I have a love relationship with you, the byproduct is all these great things happen. When the inner changes, when the relationship is established and healthy and whole and strong, and the intimacy is there, and I can guide your life, and you can and you'll actually listen and trust me, mighty things just begin to happen because it's my will for you. The Sermon on the Mount, the farewell speech, the kind of Here's how the, here the cow, how the cow eats cabbage. Here's what it's going to be. You get to decide what line you're on. He's given the Beatitudes. Everybody just loves the Beatitudes. And then he, right after that, Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. I'm the menorah. But I'm, wait a minute, I'm leaving. No, you, you, you are the light of the world. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. A city that is fed on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, on a menorah. And, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your mighty deeds, your mighty acts, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. It ain't about you. Don't be timid, don't be afraid. Don't think that you have to get enough education or learning or experience. He is experienced, and he just comes with it, and he wants to bring it through you. Just listen and go, and then watch him show up. Let me read a, a letter to you from the, the church, I'm sorry, from Paul to the church of Colossae. It's a letter from the Holy Spirit that embodies the seven spirits of God. It's a letter from Jesus saying, hey, here's how I want you to carry the menorah. Here's how I want you to be the light of the world. Here it is in Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Athens, Texas. Just receive this as a prayer. Because I'm praying, I'm literally praying this over you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you. Man, that's a problem. That's a promise, rather. It's a, the hope that's laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of, of God and truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Here's where it starts. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, your, your team, your pastors, your leaders here at Thrive Community Church do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Oh, the spirit of knowledge is resting upon you, waiting for you to receive. In all wisdom 
and spiritual understanding. You got three, three of the seven spirits right there. Spiritual understanding. Not human understanding, not worldly knowledge, not earthly thinking. Spiritual understanding. To be able to see what the eyes can't see and hear what the ears can't hear. Because in your inner knower, you know because of your love relationship with Jesus, he's guiding you into things that may not make sense to other people. But it makes sense to you. In fact, it makes so much sense, you can't not do it. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Boy, that's good news right there. When the seven spirits of God are on your life and you're willing to walk according to them, you will be fruitful in every area of your life. And increasing in the knowledge of God. The experiential knowledge of God will be increasing because he's trusting you with more. He's doing more work through you. He's seeing you're willing to listen and humble up to him more, become more vulnerable to him. So more mighty acts can be done through you to glorify God the Father. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering and joy. Yay, patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of, his, of sins. He is the image of the invisible God for the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created and that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Good news. He's got an answer for it all. All things were created through him and for him, and he, be, he, is be, he is before all things, and in him all things exist, consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased God the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. You, first. Your family, second. And everybody else outside of that, next. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works in bondage before. Hey, here's good news, though, because we're about to speak some life over you. Yet now he has reconciled. So you can choose to believe from the evil minds, the dead works, the old works in which you did, which you have may have altars and idols set up for that you're not quite ready to get rid of because you're not quite ready to make the full leap, the full jump, cross over. But he says, wait a minute, you've been reconciled, so you get to decide, am I going to believe from a reconciled mind or a deceived mind? Am I going to have a reconciled heart or an obstinate, perverse heart? In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, nobody has excuse, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Hey, amen, hallelujah. Rejoicing in suffering is part of the plan. Yeah, I get to suffer. Good news, because you have a healer. He loves to meet you right there. In fact, he's near to the brokenhearted. Will you let him in? I rejoice in my sufferings for you. 
and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. Well, when you get called into ministry, it's no longer about you. When you become a Christian, you are called into ministry because that's the example of Christ. So it's no longer about you, nor your altars, nor your idols, nor anything else you're connecting your identity or your purpose to. Let me say it this way. Not any false adventure that you're settling, settling for that's outside of the will of God for your life. given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery to among the Gentiles, that's us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. 28, him we preach, warning every man and, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works mightily in me, mightily. He just saw all the seven spirits of God right there. He just laid it out. Here's my letter to you. Here's how to walk according to the seven spirits of God under the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. I'm going to add this in verse 610. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. I'm going to finish with this. That was my prayer to you. That's our prayer as a church over you, that you grasp this. But I'm going to give you a final charge. I'm going to give you a final charge that's sending you out of here as a new creation, a new person, a, new, a person with a new thought process. I'm sending you out of here with the very purpose that Jesus came, born in a manger, as a vulnerable, humble, and yet mighty child. I'm sending you out here to, with a declaration charge that is going to change your mindset. That is going to rewrite the script of why we even exist and what happens when we begin to make him Lord over our life? This is, a, this is a, a, a charge from King David to his son Solomon, shifting from one kingdom to another. Same kingdom, same place, one king to another king. A new era, a new reign. Let me say it this way. This is a charge from Jesus to you. Because this is a charge. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. This is a charge. I will do great things, but you will do far greater things. It just doesn't make sense to be complacent and not do far greater things when Jesus is saying, you will do far greater things. There's something missing in the paradigm. Either I'm in old thinking or I'm in reconciled thinking. And David to his son Solomon in a transfer of king. And Jesus to you in a transference of authority and kingdom reign says this, I'm going in the way of all the earth. I'm going to my father. Be strong, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. He ain't messing around. Prove yourself a woman. He leaves no gap. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments. Keep his testimonies. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Don't forget what God has done before. Don't forget that God wants to do the very same things in your life. Don't forget. 
I'm going with the Father, but I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the promise of the Father. He's going to embody the seven spirits of God, and he wants to work through you. Keep the charge. Man, I'm just trying to break through an old mold. This is not singing out of hymnals and sitting at hallelujahs and sitting in the pew, and I've done my duty. Check box. I'm a Christian. No, sir. Keep the charge. Show yourself. Prove yourself a man. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Keep the charge. Show yourself a man. Show yourself a woman. Keep through his ways, his statutes, his ordinances, his testimonies, his principles. Keep them. And in doing so, you will find favor. Mighty acts will happen through you in whatever you do. And wherever you go, keep the charge. I'm the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You'll do far greater things. Keep the charge. Come on, guys, let's worship.